You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Asiratul Nabawiya, the prophetic biography. In the previous uh, couple of sessions that we had, um, where we were actually going through the chronology of the Sirah, we had some guest speakers over the last couple of weeks. We talked about some of the first few expeditions during the life of the Prophet. During the era of the time of the Prophet ﷺ where they were now residing in the city of Medina, which is called the Medinan era after Hijrah. We basically talked about the first year of the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina. Then we started talking about the beginning of the second year. Now in the beginning of the second year, one of the things that we talked about was the first three ghazawat. The first three ghazawat, and of course we talked about the terminology. Ghazwa is where the Prophet ﷺ himself accompanies uh, the Muslims on this expedition. He leads them himself. A sariya is where the Prophet ﷺ does not go himself, but rather he sent the Sahaba radiallahu anhum under the guidance or the leadership of one of their peers. So we talked about the first three ghazwas. And the last one that we talked about was Ghazwatul Ushayra, also known as Ghazwatul Usayra, which would later on, as we will learn in the coming weeks, would become part of the catalyst, which led to the first major uh, battle in the history of Islam, which was the Ghazwa of Badr. What we're going to be talking about today is similarly another ghazwa, which is oftentimes referred to as the first ghazwa of Badr. Ghazwatul Badril Ula, the first ghazwa of Badr. Now this has no real um, direct connection to the major battle of Badr that we know about, but rather this is called the first expedition of Badr because this was the first time that the Muslims, they went out in the direction of the area where the wells of Badr were located. That's the thing, that the place was called Badr, they were the Qullab, the, the, the wells of Badr, and that's why it's called the Battle of Badr, because it took place at that point. What happened at this particular time was that the Prophet of Allah returns back from Ghazwatul Ushayra. He got back and he was back in Medina for maybe a couple of days. A couple of days, a couple of nights, at the very most. Until what happened was that uh, Kirz bin Jabir al-Fihri, who was a leader of a tribe that lived outside of Medina, he basically came and attacked some of the um, camels that used to graze and some of the, some of the shepherds that used to graze their animals on the outskirts of Medina. It's called Sarhul Medina. It was the outskirts of Medina. Some of the Muslims used to go out there and they would graze their camels out there. And so one of these men, Kirz ibn Jabir al-Fihri, he comes and he attacks them. And when the news reaches inside Medina that look, somebody came and attacked some of the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ gathered together as many people as he could find there. He quickly appointed uh, Zayd ibn Haritha, 
his adopted son Zayd ibn Haritha as the Amir over Medina. He gave the flag to Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then the Prophet said, let's go, let's go track down these, these people who were trying to attack us. And they basically went out looking for them and they traveled almost all the way pretty much close to the area of Badr, where the wells of Badr were. But they weren't able to find this man and whoever was with him. So when they weren't able to find them, the Prophet ﷺ basically returned back to Medina Munawwara. And therefore, this is called the first expedition of Badr. But this was simply to chase down somebody who had attacked some of the shepherds and the animals of the Muslims out on the outskirts of Medina. So in pursuit of them, they went out to the place of Badr, but they came back from there and there was no battle, there was no conflict, there was no any type of you know, engagement, military or physical engagement. Now, one thing slightly very interesting that happened here, and this is one of the interesting incidents from early Medinan history. When the Prophet ﷺ was on this, in this pursuit of these individuals, at that time the Prophet ﷺ decided that, you know, he wanted to send out some people to just kind of keep an eye and keep a watch on certain problem areas from where these attacks were coming from. That the Prophet ﷺ wanted to send out some scouts, a small regiment, into an area to kind of go there, camp out, and keep a watch on things, where these attacks were coming from. So when the Prophet ﷺ was out there at this place of Badr, in pursuit of these attackers, while he was still out there, the Prophet ﷺ calls one of his most trusted companions, a muhajir, by the name of Abdullah bin Jahash. Abdullah bin Jahash. So this was the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. He's a Qurayshi, he's from Banu Hashim, he's a Hashimi. So the Prophet ﷺ calls Abdullah bin Jahash and he basically appoints with him seven more individuals. He appointed seven more individuals along with him or some narrations say that eight individuals in Abdullah was the ninth. So some narrations say that including Abdullah there were eight. Some say Abdullah plus eight. And they basically were, and there was none of these were Ansar. These were all Muhajirun. Abu Hudayfa ibn Utbah, Ukasha bin Muhsin bin Hirthan, um, Utbah ibn Ghazwan, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, Amir ibn Rabi'ah, Waqid bin Abdullah, Khalid bin al-Bakir, Suhail bin Bayda al-Fihri. So these are seven individuals, and then of course the eighth one was Abdullah bin Jahash radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So the Prophet sallallahu appointed these people, and he tells them, he gives them some very specific instructions. He says that I want you to start traveling in this direction. He gave them a direction, and he said, I want you to start traveling. In the, before that, the Prophet ﷺ called one of the Sahaba who used to write down the revelation for the Prophet ﷺ, Katibul Wahi. He calls him and he tells him that I want you to f write down the following. And he basically wrote down some instructions. The Prophet ﷺ folded this up, had it sealed up, and gave it to Abdullah bin Jahash. And he said, I am giving this to you, and I want you to hold on to this and not open this for at least two days.
I don't want you to open this for two days. I want you to walk. I want you to go. I want you to move in this direction along with this small band of people that you have, all eight of you. I want you to move in this direction. Abdullah is your Amir. And after two days of traveling in this direction, then I want you to open the letter and I want you to read the instructions inside the letter. At that time he told Abdullah that once you read the instructions inside the letter, it is up to you what you want to do. If you are okay with the instructions that I've given, then you should continue. If you are not okay with the instructions within the letter, there's no force upon you and you're more than welcome to come back. Similarly, he told, he instructed Abdullah bin Jahash as the Amir that when you inform your companions, your cohorts, when you inform them of what is written within the letter, then again, they have a choice. They have a choice. They can either comply, they can go forward, absolutely, or they can not be okay with it. And if they're not okay with it, then they, can, they are more than welcome to come back and join the community and nothing will be held against them. So they have the option. So he said, okay. And they basically start traveling. Now once the Prophet sends out these aids from the place of Badr, you know, the first expedition of Badr, now the Prophet returns back to Medina and reassumes his residence in the city of Medina. And he's there for a couple of months now. For the next three months, the Prophet ﷺ did not travel outside. Because up till now, for the first you know, six, seven months of the second year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ had already traveled outside of Medina almost four, had traveled outside of Medina four times. So that was pretty frequent. It was almost like on an average of every six to eight weeks, the Prophet ﷺ was traveling outside of Medina. But when he comes back from this first expedition of Badr, the Prophet ﷺ now resided in Medina for the next three months. He did not leave Medina. But on, in the meantime, what's fascinating is now, that whole little band of people, they're out on their mission. So when they basically travel out, and they travel two days, then they finally stop. Abdullah bin Jahash radiallahu ta'ala anhu opens a letter. And he looks inside the letter. And when he reads inside the letter, basically it has the following instructions. It first and foremost tells him that it says, kitabi, If you are looking, if you are reading this letter, فَمْضِي حَتَّى تَنْزِلَ نَخْلَى then continue on forward until you arrive at the place of Nakhla. Until you arrive at the place of Nakhla. Baina Makkah wa Ta'if. And this place of Nakhla was on the route between Makkah and Ta'if. It was between the cities of Makkah and Ta'if. Basically, go there and wait there. Fatarasad biha Qurayshan wa ta'allam lana min akhbarihim. And so he says that sit there and wait. For Quraysh, basically spy on Quraysh, just wait on Quraysh. If they pass through there, keep track of what they're doing. And find out what they're up to. Because now that the Muslims in the city of Medina had started to be raided and attacked, the Prophet ﷺ said, we need to know, we need to be aware of what the goings on are over here in this area. Because this is the problem area. If attacks are going to be coming, they're going to be coming from this area. 
So the Prophet ﷺ told them, I want you to find a nice little spot. I want you to lay low. I want you to just keep an eye on the goings and the comings. And I want you to keep us informed. I want you to send letters our way. Send one person back to send a message our way. And that's basically your instruction. When Abdullah bin Jahash read the letter, he said, He said that I listen and I obey. I have read and I have obeyed. I'm good to go. I'm done. I'm doing exactly what the Messenger ﷺ has commanded me to do. And he also informed his travel companions, the people under his charge, the other seven, about what was written within the letter. He said that the Prophet ﷺ forbade me from forcing any of y'all to come along with me. So you have a choice here. فَمَنْ مِنْكُمْ يُرِيدُ الشَّهَادَةَ وَيَرْغَبُ فِيهَا فَلْيَنْطَلِقَ At the same time, he didn't say that you're not allowed to incentivize it. So he said, whoever amongst you would like to strive in the path of Allah, whoever amongst you would like to die as a martyr fi sabili then he's more than welcome to come with us. وَمَنْ كَرِهَا ذَلِكَ فَلْيَرْجِعَ And if you don't want, if you dislike going in the path of Allah, then you can go ahead and go back home. So it's a little bit of a... <laughs> a little bit of a shame grenade, but he, he did what he had to do, right? Because it's their perspective. He's leveling. The Prophet ﷺ just said, look, you have a choice. You have an option. You can go, you can come back. Now Abdullah bin Jahash, who's from amongst them, he said, listen guys, you can go, you can come back. But you understand what that means. If you go, you love Allah and you love His Messenger. If you go back, maybe not so much, right? So he's kind of framing it, however, and he's just motivating them. So, He says, as for me, I will obey the Messenger of Allah And of course, you're free to do whatever you would like otherwise. Right? So he frames it like this. Of course, he not only went forward, but all other of his seven people under his charge, they all went forward as well, and nobody stayed back. As you can imagine, nobody would stay. So, as they're traveling now forward, a little bit of an incident occurs. While they're traveling, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas and Utb ibn Ghazwan, so these eight people basically had four camels between them. The eight people had four camels between them, and the way that it would work is they would take turns riding the camel. So it was one camel per two people. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas and Utb bin Ghazwan, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, who had one camel between them, their camel got lost. So while they were camped out somewhere at night along the way, they woke up in the morning and the camel was gone. So they had to go searching for the camel. So they told, their, they told the rest of the group, they got permission from their leader and they basically told the group, we have to track down the camel. But at the same time, if we're gone more than this, then you guys go ahead and go forward without us. Because the mission has to continue. And they all agreed. They said, okay, that sounds fair. So Sa'ad bin Waqas and Utbah ibn Ghazwan, they basically set out looking for their camel. Now, they, they were gone for so long that Abdullah bin Jahash basically tells the other remaining five now, there's only six of them, tells them, we have to go forward, guys. The mission is important. So they say, okay. So they go ahead and go on forward until they reach that place of Nakhla where they were assigned to. And once they reach the place of Nakhla, then they're sitting there waiting now to kind of, 
you know, keep an eye on what's going on, who's coming and going, who's going back and forth. And they're basically going to send the information, relay the information back to the Prophet ﷺ and to the, 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 the Muslims. While they're camped out there, now their two travel companions, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas and Utbah bin Ghazwan, are still missing. They're still missing. These six are over here. While they're camped out there, they've only been camped out for a couple of days, and all of a sudden what happens? A group of Quraysh is passing by. A group of the Quraysh is passing by. Now it's not a huge group. The narrations basically say that there were four or five people. Um, there was... Uthman bin Abdullah bin al-Mughira, um, there was al-Hakam and his brother Nawfal. So Nawfal and Uthman, who were the sons of Abdullah bin Mughira, two people. The third one was al-Hakam bin Kaysan. And then there's a fourth one that's also mentioned here um, as Amr bin al-Hadrami. So these are the four people that were basically traveling from Quraysh. And while they were traveling, what they were basically traveling back were, were some business goods. It was mainly food items. They had like raisins and some other dates and you know some other type of food items and things like that. And they were basically transporting these things for business. Now as this group was coming close and they saw this group, the Muslims kind of hid back because their original, their, their mandate, their responsibility, their job was lay low, keep an eye on things, send the information back. Lay low, keep an eye on things and send the information back. Those were their instructions. Now they basically hide out, you know, they go back and they wear whatever type of like, you know, um, whatever type of, you know, uh, spots that they had designated and little places that they had created inside the bushes and things like that, or inside of a tree where they could kind of keep an eye on who's coming and going. They kind of went back into their places when they saw some people coming. But when the group started to pass through here and they saw there's four people, and they got like, you know, a, few, a bunch of camels with them with all this merchandise loaded up on top of it. They saw this and they for a second were kind of like, huh, well, that, this seems like an interesting opportunity. There's only four guys. We outnumber them for once, right? We outnumber them. And they don't have, they, you know, doesn't look like it's dangerous. Plus they got a lot of food and a lot of rations with them. They knew how tough things were back in Medina. I, I want to take one second here. And I'm not trying to, you know, take from this what you will, but what I, what I feel is a real tragedy sometimes when, you know, these incidents, uh, when these incidents are related, that basically when a... So I feel like what's part of the tragedy sometimes is when, does, when these incidents are related a lot of times, you know, Kitabul Maghazi for instance, a lot of the historical books of the Sirah, when they talk about this, you know, they just relate like these incidents, these battles, these expeditions, and they just kind of relate them and narrate them almost like in a vacuum. It just talks about this incident. Then this many people, they went out, they went over here, they camped over here, this many people came from that side, they fought, and then this happened. End of story. Like just all of a sudden, what happened? Somebody just woke up in the morning and decided, you know, I'd like to fight somebody today. And they just went out and just like, went and picked a fight. Well, of course we know that's not how it works. Nothing, everything has context. Everything has a backstory. We know that, we understand that. But it's important to appreciate that. 
And I, and I do feel that sometimes we, we might even assume that on the part of our audience. We assume that. I, I mean, I know all of you have. If you've ever read a basic seerah book that was authored, that was written in more contemporary times, like most of the basic reading materials in English, of course we assume that our scholars obviously know all the context and they have all the background, but then maybe they're just kind of assuming that on the part of the audience, on the part of the reader. As Muslims we do that to Muslims, as Muslims we do that to our children, as Muslims we do that to non-Muslims as well. We just expect them to be able to fill in the blanks. And maybe we don't really know what goes in the blanks. So maybe there is kind of a loss of perspective. But I think it's very important to appreciate the context, historical context, it's very important. Okay, so these people, these six people that are camped out here, spying in, you know, kind of keeping an eye on the road, who are these six people? They are all from the Muhajirun. See, all this stuff is in our classical works. A lot of times the problem to solving misunderstood Islamic history is actually going back to the source. The narrations make explicit mention, فَكُلُّمْ مِنْ هَؤُلَاءِ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ It clearly says all of them were from the Muhajirun. They were originally from Mecca. Why is that so relevant? Because we talked about this. What is the mindset of the Muhajirun? These are people who've gone through over a decade, at least a decade, 13 years of torture, of persecution, violation. They've lost family members, they've lost their homes, they've lost their property, they've lost everything. Everything has been taken from them. Everything has been snatched away from them. These are a very traumatized people. Alright, so there's, there's a lot of you know, issues that they themselves have to get over and they have to deal with. Okay, now keeping all of that in mind, they've gone through torture, persecution, ousted from their homes, kicked out of their homes, all of the above. Now imagine a year later, seeing some of the same people who, do, who did that stuff to you. Think about the effect that would have on you. You know the first time Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, after the decade of torture that he went through in Mecca, the first time Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu saw some of the, 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 the leaders of Quraysh, he, he, it, it overwhelmed him. He was like shaking and trembling from just like anger and frustration. This is real. Because sometimes we don't talk about these people like they're real people. We don't appreciate, like if somebody attacked me or physically like, you know, pounded me, like physically beat me up, injured me badly, put me in the hospital. Imagine what my reaction would be six months later when I see that person face to face out in the open. Just think about the range of emotions from fear, anger, wanting to kill this person, wanting to run in the other direction. Just think about the sheer possibilities. Because why? Because I'm a human being. So we have to understand and appreciate that. So I just wanted to interject this because I don't think that it's understood a lot of times. I don't think that it's appreciated a lot of times. So now you have these Muslims, these Muhajirun, six of them, kind of looking in on the road. They see four of the Quraysh, four of the people that messed with them for a decade, walking by unarmed or whatever. They, of course, they all traveled with their arms, but basically it's not like they're soldiers. Right? They're walking by and they have these goods with them and stuff and they kind of looked around and they said, well, this doesn't look very problematic. And they kind of looked at each other. They said, 
What should we do? What should we do? And they basically, after conferring with one another, briefly, they decided that what they wanted to do, the best course of action for them was, to go ahead and attack them. So they attacked them. Now remember, this is not part of the instruction of the Messenger of Allah wasallam. This is not part of his instruction. So they attacked them. When they attacked them, one of them is killed. One of them is killed. Amr uh, bin al-Hadrami, he's killed. Two of them, um, Uthman bin Abdullah bin al-Mughira al-Makhzumi, one of the brothers, and the other one, al-Hakam bin Kisan, they are basically taken as prisoners. And the fourth one, Nofal, he's able to run away and escape and get back to Mecca. And so they attack, one of them is killed, two of them are taken prisoners, one gets away. And they take possession of all the goods that they were traveling with. Now they're very, you know, they're, they're satisfied with the outcome of this. So they basically take all the goods, they take the prisoners, and they start coming back towards Medina. Now remember their two travel companions that got lost looking for their camel? They're still missing, they're still gone. Keep that in mind. Alright? Now they're traveling back to Medina. In the meantime, the news gets back to Mecca that this, this, this happened. Right around the same time that they get back to Medina. Now when they get back to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ sees them. He's like, what are you guys doing back? What's happening? And they basically tell the Prophet ﷺ that this is what happened. We were there, okay, uh, two guys, Utbah uh, bin Ghazwan and Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, they got lost looking for their camel. We continued on forward. We were waiting there. These guys came through there with their stuff. We attacked them. And this, this, this is how everything worked out. And now we're here. We got all these goods. And we got these two prisoners. And they basically also, along the way, it also mentions that Abdullah bin Jahash, you know, normally before this time, the way that the spoils of war, like anything that you were able to gain, anything that you were able to walk away with from a skirmish, from a battle, whatever you walked away with, the understanding of that was that you basically get to divide it up, divvy it up amongst yourselves. That was the understanding. This was the first time Abdullah bin Jahash said, you know, while we will divide all this up, this is a lot. This is more than we've ever seen. It's a lot of food. So what they, did, what, they, what they basically said was, first and foremost, one-fifth, we will separate it. Khumus, one-fifth, we will separate it. 20% will separate it. And that will be given to the Messenger wasallam to do whatever he wants to do with that. However he deems it best used. And then the remaining 80%, the four-fifths, will divide up amongst ourselves. They had kind of talked about all this on the way there. Now they arrive in Medina. And they feel the Prophet ﷺ on what's going on. When the Prophet ﷺ finds out basically what they had done, the Prophet ﷺ says to them, مَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِقِتَالٍ فِي الشَّهْرِ الْحَرَامِ The Prophet ﷺ says it was the month of Sha'ban. Excuse me, the month of Rajab. The Prophet ﷺ says that I did not command you to fight in the sacred months. The month of Rajab, which was considered amongst the sacred months. He says, I did not tell you to fight. I told you to sit there, lay low, keep an eye on things and send the word back. That's it. 
I didn't tell you to fight. I didn't tell you to attack them. What did you do? I understand you conferred amongst one another, but you didn't follow the instructions. And the Prophet ﷺ basically said, they said, oh, but Ya Rasulullah, this happened, that happened, we thought this, we thought that, and we brought all this back. And the Prophet ﷺ said, I want nothing to do with any of this. What you did was not, is not what I told you to do. You didn't follow my instructions. No. I don't want any of this money. I don't want any of this stuff. We got to figure out what to do with these prisoners properly. You actually killed a person? No. Can I, I don't want anything to do with this. I didn't tell you to do any of this. You acted of your own accord. And we, we can't have that. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, I have to figure out what to do. The narration basically says that they were, these, these Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum were really, really sad. Very, very down on themselves because of what had happened. And the rest of the community also was very upset. Was extremely upset about what had transpired, what had happened. So now the rest of the community is really upset. They are upset with themselves. The rest of the community is disappointed in them. It seems like the Prophet ﷺ is a little disappointed in them and with the decision that they made. And all of this is going on. And guess what? The one person who escaped Nofal, he gets back to Mecca. And he gets back to Mecca and he says, Guess what guys, this happened. And this happened and that happened and this happened. Now the propaganda machine basically starts to turn. And the Quraysh, they start spreading the word that, Oh, Muhammad, he claims to you piety, and he says, follow this religion and worship God and this and this. And look what they do. They fight in the sacred months. These people don't respect anything. Nothing is sacred to them. You see just how they violate the sacred months? That's how they violate the gods and the idols and the deen and all the propaganda starts. Connections are being made that where there are no connections. And all of these rumors and all this propaganda basically starts and all this noise starts to happen. And the word starts kind of getting around through all the different cities and all the different tribes and all the different people of that region and that area. Until it got to a point where the noise was so loud, the criticism was so blatant that a lot of negative sentiments even started to arise within the community of Muslims. That even some of the people within the Muslim community started going from being just disappointed to being really seriously upset with these people and angry with these people. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the ayat in Surah Al-Baqarah, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الشَّهْرِ الْحَرَامِ قِتَالٍ فِيهِ That they ask you about the sacred months and about fighting within the sacred months. قُلْ قِتَالٌ فِيهِ كَبِيرٌ Tell them, fighting in the sacred months is bad. It's a major sin, it's bad, no doubt. We're not, we're not hiding from that. Yes, these were, these were the actions of a few individuals who acted outside of their directive. But it is a sin, it is wrong, it is a major sin. Agreed, accepted, fine. وَصَدٌ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَكُفْرٌ بِهِ وَالْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ وَإِخْرَاجُ أَهْلِهِ مِنْهُ أَكْبَرُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Blocking and preventing people from the path of Allah, disbelieving in Allah, blocking and preventing people from al-masjid al-haram, the sacred house of God, 
And then kicking the people who are residents of that area out from their homes, out from their own city, out from their own territory. That is even a major sin than that. That is a greater sin. That is even a more heinous act than somebody fighting during the sacred months. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically is telling them that yeah, what these people did is wrong. But what you people are criticizing about them and how you're criticizing them, it's, it has no grounds. It is completely unreasonable. It is preposterous, it is ridiculous for you people to criticize them. This makes no sense whatsoever. Because what you people have done is a lot worse. You have murdered people, kicked them out of their homes, tortured people, deprived people the right to be able to live their lives and practice their religion. So what you people have done it is a lot worse. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is that famous axiom that's in the Qur'an, وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَكْبَرُ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ That causing this type of turmoil and turbulence and, and instability within the community is an, is an even greater crime than murder, than killing someone. Because it could be, again this is not to justify murder, but it could be that an individual murder occurs as an isolated incident. Two people had a disagreement with each other, one of them lost his cool and ended up killing the other. Immediately that person is grabbed, tried, tested, persecuted, sentenced, etc, etc. There can be an isolated incident. But when you systematically create chaos within a community, now you're basically throwing everything up for grabs. What will this escalate to? When you, in, when you basically create that type of chaos within society, uproot a society con completely, remove any semblance of order and stability and peace and identity from a community, you basically are not creating the, uh, the, you're creating an environment, you're creating the circumstances where there won't only be one murder, there might be like an all-out war. You could have mass murders in a situation like this. You are ruining generations to come. And that's more, even more problematic. Yes, some of our guys killed one person. And it was wrong. And we will deal with it accordingly. But what you people have done is that you have traumatized an entire society, entire community, an entire generation of people. You've uprooted an entire civilization, like a whole community of people. You need to understand that. You need to comprehend that. You need to chew on that. وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَكْبَرُ مِنَ الْقَتْلُ وَلَا يَزَالُونَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ حَتَّى يَرُدُّوكُمْ عَنْ دِينِكُمْ إِنْ إِسْتَطَاعُوا And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet ﷺ and the believers that these people that are criticizing now, they will continue to fight you until they can return you back to the religion that you came from if they're able to do so. So these ayat were revealed. What these ayat basically did was it put things into... It put things into perspective for the Muslims, for the people that had committed this, uh, this, this basically act, who had acted of their own accord on that uh, mission the Prophet ﷺ had sent them on. And it also put things into perspective to the non-Muslims that were basically trying to turn the propaganda machine. Now basically what was the fallout from this? What ended up happening from this? 
The Prophet of Allah وسلم, in the meantime now, remember they have two prisoners. So the Quraysh now sends uh, a delegation to retrieve their two prisoners. They send a delegation to retrieve their two prisoners. The Prophet tells them, you are our guest, you're more than welcome to stay here. But the issue is that we're still missing two people. Remember the two that got lost? We're still missing two people. And pardon me for not having a little more faith in your goodwill. But if you haven't forgotten, you kind of tortured us and tried to assassinate me, right? For a long time. So I don't really have a lot of faith in you and your honesty. So I don't know what happened to my two guys. And I think there's a chance that you might have come across them and might be holding them in Mecca. I just don't know what happened to them. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to wait till they return back and then I'll readily release your two prisoners. I'll release your two guys to you. I just want to make sure my two guys, they get home safely. So they waited and eventually after a few days, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas and Utbah ibn Ghazwan are able to return back to Medina. And they basically say that in search of their camel, they basically got lost. They never ended up finding the camel. They kind of you know, wandered around trying to figure out where they were and where to go. And eventually they were able to find some people, meet some allies and make their way back. And they were able to make their way back to Medina and rejoin the community in Medina. Once they arrive back, the Prophet ﷺ very readily returns the two prisoners that they have. He returns them back to the hands of the Quraysh, the Meccans, the delegation that had come. And not only that, but the Prophet ﷺ also pays them blood money, the diyah. The, 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 the reparations that would be paid whenever somebody was murdered, somebody was killed, reparations would be made to their family. Especially if it was a misunderstanding, then some money would be paid, reparations would be made to the family. The Prophet ﷺ paid that amount to them and said, please take this back to the family of the, of the individual that was killed, the murdered man who was killed. So they basically take that money back. Now, you know the two prisoners that they had? Uh, the first one was Uthman bin Abdullah bin al-Mughira, and the second one was Al-Hakam bin Kaysan. What's really fascinating, what's very interesting, is that when the Prophet ﷺ returns them, basically over to the hands of the Meccans, over to the hands of the Quraysh, one of them, I believe it was... Uthman bin Abdullah bin al-Mughira al-Makhzumi, he basically accepts Islam. When the Prophet ﷺ releases them to the hands of the Meccans, then Uthman, he accepts Islam and requests to basically stay with the Muslims. But he waits till he's released. Once he's released, he basically tells them, he says, by the way, I've accepted Islam, I've seen more than what I need to, meaning like I, I got what I need, I've seen what I have to, I know what I need to know, and I'm ready to accept Islam and be a Muslim. And he accepts Islam and he says, I'm staying here with them, of my own accord. And he waits till he's released so that the Meccans know that this isn't some type of trick. Right, that he lets them know, I'm released, you see me, I'm good to go, ready to go back with you. Ashhadu wa la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu Muhammad Rasulullah. 
Now I'm gonna stay if you don't mind. Just let everybody back in Mecca know I stayed. The other one he returns back. And this same individual, Uthman bin Abdullah al-Makhzumi, he basically stays amongst the Muslims until, and he becomes one of the students, he becomes one of the students of the Qur'an. And he becomes one of the Qurra. And then the incident of Bir Ma'una, when it occurs, and we're gonna talk about this incident later on, but basically 70 teachers, 70 instructors of the Qur'an were killed at one time, at one place, very unfortunately. It was a very tragic incident. He was amongst them and he was killed as a shaheed on that day. So he becomes a student of the Qur'an, he becomes an instructor, a teacher of the Book of Allah, a qari, and he basically, a muqri, and he goes out to go teach another people, and then basically that's where, he, that's where he's killed, and he's murdered. So this was basically the incident in the story. And the Makkans basically returned back with Al-Hakam bin Kisan. They returned back with the, um, they returned back with the um, blood money, the reparations made to, or excuse me actually, see that's what I was trying to look it up. I got them two mixed up. Al-Hakam bin Kisan was the one who accepted Islam and became amongst the Qurra, the teachers of the Qur'an and died as a shaheed in the incident of Bir Ma'una. And Uthman bin Abdullah al-Makhzumi returns back to Mecca and dies in Mecca, lives out the rest of his life in Mecca. Wa biha kafiran, And he died as a disbeliever in Mecca. So it's the other way around. Al-Hakam bin Kisan is the Muslim, the Qari, the shaheed. And Uthman bin Abdullah al-Makhzumi is the one who returns back to Mecca and dies in Mecca as a disbeliever. And so this is basically the, the incident that occurred here. And once all these clarifications were made, once all of this was handled, remember when they returned back and they told the Prophet ﷺ what had happened? And the Prophet ﷺ said, what have you done? Now to handle all of this. Now the Prophet ﷺ has handled everything. That Utbah and Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, Utbah ibn Ghazwan and Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas returned back home safely. Alright, the one individual that they killed, reparations are made to his family. The two prisoners of war that were taken, things are settled to them. They were basically handed back off to the Meccans. One of them accepts Islam and stays in Medina as a Muslim, but that was of his own accord. That's his own choice. But the two prisoners of war are handled. Things are reconciled with the Meccans, with the Quraysh. As far as the negative PR, the smear campaign that's going on against the Prophet that look what Muhammad does. He violates the sacred months. And he goes around killing people during the sacred months. That has also been handled through revelation. Right, that that basically clarification is made by Allah. That yes, what these people did was wrong. And we will handle them. And we will handle what they've done. But what you people have done cannot be ignored. You very conveniently want to forget about your own personal history. What you people have done is a hundred times worse. And that basically is that response is given through divine revelation to their negative PR, to the smear campaign that's going on. Once all of that was handled, then the Prophet ﷺ turned his attention back to the group, the small group that he had sent out on the mission. And he basically said that, okay, now let's get back to the matter at hand. What do we do with y'all? So the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has forgiven you. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven you. There was even an ayah that basically came down. Some of the scholars say was related to these people. Three qualifiers. That the people who believed, then they did hijrah. Remember these were all muhajirun. And then they strove out in the path of Allah. When the messenger of God said, go, but it's your choice. Remember the letter? Said you can go. But it's your choice, or you can come back home, you don't have to go. What did they all say? We're ready to go, O Messenger of God, send us out there, we're ready to go. So they had three qualities, they believed, they traveled out, in the, in the, uh, they, they, they made migration, they migrated to Medina, and number three, they strove in the path of Allah. And then there's a fourth choir, qualifier. أُولَٰئِكَ يَرْجُونَ رَحْمَةَ And they hope for the mercy of God. They hope for the mercy of Allah. They are still holding out, Yarjuna, in the present future tense. They are still holding out hope for the mercy and the forgiveness of Allah. And that's what the scholars explain, the Mufassirun say, Ula'ika Yarjuna Rahmat Allah, basically is making reference to the fact that they are sincerely repentant. They, they, they are asking Allah for forgiveness. They feel bad about what they've done. They hope and pray for the mercy of Allah. Allah will forgive us, please forgive us, Ya Allah. أُولَٰئِكَ يَرْجُونَ رَحْمَةَ اللَّهِ Allah said, وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah is constantly forgiving and constantly merciful. Meaning Allah has forgiven them. Allah has forgiven you. And the Prophet ﷺ informs them of that, says Allah has forgiven you. And the spoils of war that they had come back with, the Prophet ﷺ takes a fifth of it, and basically uses it you know, to take care of all the masakeen from the fuqara amongst the muhajirun. And then the four-fifths of it, the 80% of it, is distributed amongst them. And he rewards them for this. And so these mark the first couple of incidents. This was the first time that somebody on the other side of the line was killed. Fi sabilillah, in the path of Allah, this was the first incident. This was the first time that the Prophet ﷺ made somebody, you know, in charge of a group at this level where that person basically was entrusted with people told to go out and kind of you know take care of the people this was the first time that there were prisoners of war and this whole type of exchange was made and this was also the first time that spoils of war were distributed amongst the muslims the first time spoils of war were distributed and this was a very unique incident because in the previous umam in the sharia of the people that came before us, spoils of war would not be distributed. The Prophet said, Spoils of war were made permissible for me. But in the previous sharia, when they would return back with spoils of war, it would be gathered together, put on a place, dua would be made, O oh Allah, please accept this. And if it was accepted, a fire would come down from the sky and devour it, and that would be done. Or some narrations also mentioned that all of it would be given away in charity to poor people. All of it would be given away in charity to poor people. This was the first time that in, in the Sharia Muhammad the, the soldiers, the warriors themselves were allowed to take the distrib distribute these spoils of war amongst themselves and take it back home. And this is basically the first time that this occurred as well. We'll go ahead and pause here for this session inshallah. And what we'll basically be talking about is we'll talk about some of the other incidents that occurred, some of the landmark events that occurred here towards the middle or the end point 
portion of the second year of Hijrah, and that will basically lead us right into the discussion about the great, the epic battle of Badr, one of the greatest moments in the history of the Ummah, and inshallah we'll be talking about that in the coming sessions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahu bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.